Hola, que tal amigos? That is right, you are listening to Academics and Amigos. I am your host, Anton Ramirez. This week I interviewed Dr. Gabriel Cruz, who is a lecturer at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. In this episode, we talk a lot about his research with comic books and how he uses TikTok and social media as an educational tool, among other things. So let's get started. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Academics and Amigos. I am here with Dr. Gabriel Cruz. He is a lecturer at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro, in the Communication Studies Department. And he likes to do a lot of research on um, stuff that I really like to do a lot of research on myself. Um, And we're going to get into that in a bit. Um, But Gabe, how are you doing, man? I'm good, Anthony. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, Like before we started... uh, the recording we were talking about like comic shows and comics that we both enjoy and stuff so this is going to be a really fun conversation um and i'm really looking forward to it so gabe thank you so much for being on academics and amigos of course thanks for having me i'm excited for this awesome so well, the first question i have for you is what inspired you to pursue a phd because that's like one of those things that's like it, it's uh it's it's a game changer once you try to once you figure it out like oh my gosh i want to pursue a phd um, but what inspired you to pursue a PhD and um, how did you begin researching comic books, media and popular culture? Well, what inspired me was that I was tired of roofing um, and <laughs> my, my old man's in construction. And uh, actually, um, it's funny. I was never someone who was like good at school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I got my best sleep in class. Um, and I my basically at each time that I went for a higher level, level of education. Uh, even going to undergrad, I was like, oh, we'll try it. We'll see what happens. Um, but I got my master's degree from uh, UNCG, uh, where I teach now, and I lectured or I, I taught adjunct. I did the, the adjunct hustle for about a year. And I was like, I really like this, but I know if I want job security, I need to get a PhD. Um, so initially it was literally about uh, how do I make sure I can you know, get a good job? Um, I love learning, but that was not like, that's a nice thing, you know, uh, and I can, I can learn elsewhere. I don't have to necessarily go to school for that. I mean, obviously you get a special kind of education, but what I'm saying was it was mostly pragmatic. Uh, so yeah. And then I applied to Bowling Green State University in Ohio, um, got my doctorate, uh, met my wife while I was there. And, uh, yeah, so now that's why I do, that's why, that's how I got to that point. Yeah. That's awesome. And Bowling Green um, University has a is known for having a huge comic collection. Am I am I correct about that? They uh, they do. They have one of the uh, I think perhaps the largest one in the state. I think the only thing that immediately comes closer is uh, Michigan State University's um, uh, comics collection, and they actually have the largest one I think in the country. Oh wow! Um, but yeah, they are. They do actually have a dedicated. Uh, a whole floor in their library is dedicated to comics and other pop culture material, but, but I think it's almost all co- uh, comics. And um, for anyone who's interested in comic book studies, I know that like uh, Dr. Jeffrey Brown has written quite a bit about comics. Uh, he's in the American uh, Culture Studies Department. Um, I was in the Media and Communication Studies Department, but there was a lot of great overlap, I think, because both departments did a fair amount of you know, media uh, education, that kind of stuff. Right on, right on. And so the second part of that question I was curious about too is like, how did you begin researching comic books? Like speaking on about that, like how did you begin uh, researching comic books, uh, media and popular culture? So um, what I like to tell people is that I, uh, I was determined to prove my parents wrong, that reading comics was going to get me a job. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, actually, what happened was I took a class on uh, race and communication uh, mm. from the fantastic Dr. Lisa Hanasono at BGSU. And uh, we were encouraged to, you know, pursue whatever line of interest we wanted as far as, you know, writing a paper for that class, you know, something related to race. And I thought, well, what about like the Avengers? Because I've always been interested in how our stories operate as um, larger representations of cultural understanding. So my master's program, I studied the news and how they discuss, uh, you know, Mexican immigrants in particular. Spoilers, it ain't great. Um, and uh, instead, so I went into, instead of doing news again, I thought, well, let me pick up my life, which is the Avengers. Because um, I've been an on-again, off-again comics fan for most of my life. And uh, she was like, this is really good. You should, you know, take it to NCA, the National Communication Association Conference. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, I, I, okay, we'll, we'll try it out. Uh, and I did. And it was actually, it was like the second ever presentation I did at NCA. And it was the, probably the best attended conference I've ever been to at, or of almost any conference I've been to, we had like 50, you know, some people crammed in that room, um, which almost never happens. Right. It kind of ruined me a bit because now you get like three people and uh, that's including the moderator. Right. So, um, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And, and I was on that panel, we were talking about this stuff and it was a electrifying moment, not because of the people that were there. Although I was absolutely happy to have an audience. It was because as I was talking, I realized I, I, more thoughts were coming to me as I'm giving my presentation and I'm thinking I'm making even more connections. I'm talking to my panelists, my co-panelists about, you know, what they're talking about, which is other comic stuff. And it was from that moment, I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to study comics because it's not just that there is a, a, it's fun to study and that it's everywhere. There's a huge, uh, you know, industry around it, that kind of thing. But it's also because there's a lot of meaningful discourse that's happening in comic books and has always happened. Mm-hmm. And there's so much more that I think that can be said as far as our understanding of it and using it in a way that's meaningful for people beyond entertainment, which entertaining is meaningful, mm-hmm. but like in a, a very pro-social way. Oh, definitely. I agree with that one thousand percent. Um, and I, that's kind of the argument that I have too. not, not just the fact that it's so understudied within communication, but just, there's a plethora of subject matters found within comic books. Like you just mentioned that, that these writers write from, because I like to think like comic books are a testament of the time. So whether it's mm-hmm. about like civil rights, whether it's LGBTQ, um, you know, even in some cases now that I, I'm starting to look, look at is like immigration and, um, you know, even like Black Lives Matter movements and, and mm-hmm. all these different things like that, too. I think comic books, I like to say, are a testament of the time because of those reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, And so, yeah, I mean, I think that that's great work that you're doing. And that's really cool. Like NCA and having a, having an audience like that definitely is it's awesome. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember the first time I went to a conference, it was, um, I think it was at Western. And I went uh, with my uh, thesis advisor at the time. We went to San Diego. And uh, and then so it was cool because I got to see my best friend who lives in San Diego and attend a conference with my mentor and my my, my advisor and my friend and uh, <laughs> Dr. Roberto Valmir. I don't know if you know him or not. The name doesn't ring a bell, but no. yeah, he's at UTEP. He's at UTEP. So shout out okay. to shout out to Bo. And um, so, w- w- you know, we presented a, a paper that we're going to actually update to about comic books and race and like and within film. And so it was on the last day of the conference. So, you know, by then everyone's already starting to leave. And oh, yeah. yeah. And so, like the only people that went were the people presenting. 
So mm-hmm. it was a room of like four people. Yeah. And so yeah. for me, being my first conference, I was nervous because I was like, oh my gosh, I would I saw people in different in, in different rooms and they were packed and stuff. So I was just like, this is this is hectic. And then, it, it, and then as soon as I saw it, it was just gonna be us, I was like, my 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 shield went down and I was like, okay, this is nice, this isn't too bad. Yeah. And so we were able to have a conversation out of it and it was really mm-hmm. cool, you know? So it was a good experience. And then like the other times I've gone to NCA, it's a little bit more people, but, yeah. um, but yeah, that was, you know, you reminded me of that experience. And so, you know, I had the opposite type of thing where um, mm-hmm. instead of having like a room full of people, it was, it was yeah, less people, I- no people. I actually think that those are um, really good opportunities too, because I, when you have a few folks, it's great to engage with people. And I don't want to knock that at all. But yeah, yeah. Um, when it's just the the panelists and y'all can just talk about stuff and you get some really good ideas from like yeah. talking to other panelists and that kind of thing. And Oh yeah, no, I, I, we had a, I did a, pre- a conference at um, the central states communication association. Um, I did a presentation there with some uh, friends of mine. And we, we were talking about the Punisher. Um, we did we did play a joke on a buddy of mine who had to call in to give his presentation and we told him that it was packed and that everyone was paying very close attention that was <laughs> in the audience. But after that, um, we you know were able to just sort of sit around and talk about our research and you know just sort of chew up stuff that you know we weren't able to we wouldn't have been able to address mm-hmm. if we were answering questions with an audience. So there's certainly pros and cons to both, but either way, it's just I miss I miss those. There there's a lot of problems with doing in-person conferences, but they they are a lot of fun. They are. They are. Like <laughs> I, I, I've learned to appreciate it. You know, yeah. There's a lot of good stuff that come out of it. So I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Hopefully, um, we're able to go to Seattle this year for NCA. That'd be really nice. That would be. Yeah. That'd be really nice. Have you ever been to uh, DragonCon? DragonCon? No. No. Um, I, like uh, in terms of like conventions like dedicated to pop culture, I've been to El Paso Comic Con, uh, okay. which is my hometown. And then I've gone to the Alamo City one in San Antonio. I went with mm-hmm. my girlfriend to that one. And then I uh, went to San Diego Comic-Con with my best friend because he was able to get me some tickets. And so we went together. That's cool. And just as a side note, are you familiar with Chicano Con? Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I've heard of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to go to that. I've never been to that or, or San Diego Comic-Con. I want to go to that one probably more than I want to go to just about any other con because I mm-hmm. hear great things about it. Um, and also, I think the, the reason for doing it is awesome to reach you know kids and folks who can't afford the big flashy stuff but also have a good experience. But I bring up DragonCon because DragonCon also has the Comic and Pop Art Conference, mm, right? Okay. Um, which, just as an aside, is CPAC, right? Yeah. But when you tell people you're going to CPAC, they think of like the conservative political action uh, conference, <laughs> which one of my buddies who is just a super far uh, leftist, you know, and, and I said, oh, yeah, no, I'm going to CPAC to present. And there was a waited for a second and said, you know what, Gabe, I'm glad you're living your best life. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, 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 not that one, not that one, not that one. I'm not going anywhere near those people. Um, <laughs> I, but the, the reason I bring this up is because it was one of my favorite conferences to go to uh mm-hmm. the reason i haven't lately is because it, it's sometimes a bit of a, a nightmare to make a rain to happen because it happens in september right when school started up oh, that man. kind of thing but uh cpac the, the comic and pop arts conference is open to anyone at DragonCon, mm-hmm. which means you get a broad audience you might have comic creators come and you know sit in on your presentations I, every time i present there the two years i've been every panel has been full like either a, either full or mostly full rooms. And they're from people 
who are, they don't do the whole thing of like, well, actually, you know, mm-hmm. this, this, and this, right? When I got corrected one time by someone who was very humbly a- approaching me after the panel was like, uh, actually, there's, you know, that you missed this point. I thought, oh my goodness, that's, thank you for, for saying so. Mm-hmm. But they didn't do the thing that people sometimes do at conferences where they're like, you're wrong and here's why. Um, yeah. So <laughs> it was, it was really good. And I like engaging with people who are excited about the material. So anyway, I would recommend it to anyone who's interested. If you find yourself in the Atlanta area around September, it's a great thing to do. I'll definitely yeah. look that up. But it, it's a yeah. totally different, like academia and comic and pop culture fandom is a totally different thing for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so um, speaking about that uh, a little bit more is like, um, and your research in particular, mm-hmm. I want to know, like, if you can let us know, like, discuss a little bit further, like, what are some of the topics that you focus on within your research? We know it's comic books, but um, mm-hmm. what specifically do you focus on? So I like to focus on ruining things for people. That's mostly, <laughs> that's, uh, my, my wife gets frustrated with me whenever I say, oh, I learned something new, because it's never good. Um, uh, but so, all right. We'll talk about what I actually have going on right now. Um, so I, I wrote my dissertation in 2018. It took me about a year to recover from that experience because it is a, it was a thing. It was um, 290 some odd pages. I want to say I forget. It was uh, 311 with citations. It was it was a lot. It was a bunch. Um, a, lo- a lot for me. Other people can do way more than that. No problem. I'm I'm uh, weak. <laughs> but what I do right now, or what I have going on right now, is uh, I just wrote a chapter for uh, the X-Men animated series uh, coming out, uh, looking at Mystique and how she occupies a intersectional space of of, of oppression. Mm -hmm. So like, obviously mutants are discriminated against the X-Men universe, but it's not just that because she talks about in the the TV show being discriminated against because she's a shapeshifter specifically Mm -hmm. because it imbues distrust. And then you take that into consideration with like, she uses whiteness on missions as a power and as a tool Right. And they actually talk about this a little bit in the comics. She doesn't really engage as a white woman like she does in the movies as like Jennifer Lawrence as her Mm -hmm. default. She only ever really uses white skin as a method of navigating white spaces, which I think is kind of interesting. But she's also uh, she's often sought after as a exploited worker uh, because of her utility, because of the things that make her marginalized, also make her a effective tool for manipulative forces, whether that's Magneto or Xavier or the federal government. so I have a, a book chapter that was uh, it's been accepted for one round for uh, the first draft. I'll get feedback for it, probably work on it again this summer. Um, I just submitted my last edits for a chapter on Black Panther and how uh, Wakanda operates as a colonial uh, system wow. um, and how they you how they discuss race a little bit. And basically it sort of boils down to uh, the uh, Wakanda does not operate as traditional empires do in the context of the film Black Panther, um, because they don't need to. They don't need to extract resources from anywhere. They don't need you know, uh, slave labor. They don't need any of that stuff. But what they do need is information, which is what they use with how to get uh, through the war dog, right? Mm-hmm. So, and through the war dog program, they create Killmonger by accident, right? Because yeah, Prince yeah. Njobu has a child, that kind of thing. And so just as, uh, and, and for anyone listening, so I'm, I'm Chicano, but, my mom is a white American woman. My father's mestizo from uh, Durango, Mexico. And so you have someone like me who is the byproduct of uh, uh, international capitalism, literally, you know, because they were trucking in Mexicans to the American Southeast. Uh, that sort of colonial enterprise created people like me who are in this in-between space of being both and neither 
in terms of our Latinidad. Mm -hmm. So, and Killmonger operates that space of being a sort of colonial third, uh, colonial cast off of sorts. Mm -hmm. He was an unintentional byproduct of a colonial enterprise. Um, and so he forces uh, T'Challa and, and Wakanda to have to deal with that uh, mm -hmm. in a very real way. Um, so that one was just accepted. That is for a larger book about Black Panther that will be, I guess it'll come out sometimes and I have no idea. Uh, and then I have a paper I'm working on right now. It's actually presented at NCA with my co-author, uh, Lindsay Kramer, Dr. Lindsay Kramer down at Coastal Carolina University. She's an awesome scholar. She was taking lead on it and I was helping her. Um, and so it's about the Punisher and white masculinity and mm. how it offers this um, way of perceiving the world. Basically, you know, the whole thing about like, uh, you'll hear in some particularly far right spaces of white Americans saying, well, we're the real oppressed people in this country and that kind of thing. Yeah. That theme exists within the Punisher and not just within some of the characters, but within the Punisher himself, who is both uphold. He is both a, a, um, He's the garbage refuse of the industrial military complex, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he's a vet. He got used up. He's discarded. And then his family gets murdered and the justice system doesn't help him. So he is a white male who uses violent force to reinforce the authority of white males embodied in himself. Um, while at the same time engaging in what we learned about, what uh, Dr. Kramer and I learned about through this process called um, uh, abject masculinity, which is basically uh, the particularly white male bodies, but male bodies and especially white male bodies break themselves in a process of reinforcing their authority. So you think like any action hero, any yeah. action hero movie uh, involves the hero going from a place of in, being in a good spot to being almost dead by the end of the movie. Yeah. Right. And in that process, he is exerting his own moral authority, uh, his own uh, subjugation of others, usually people of color. Um, and uh, in a, method that requires that his body be broken so that he can have a reconstitution at the end, sort of a happy ending. Mm. Um, Fight Club is a, another great example of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, because that's what the whole movie is about is, you know, feeling alive through violence and that kind of thing in a way that's traumatizing, quite honestly, in a, in a real way. So um, so we, we pulled in uh, our friend, Dr. Andrew uh, Donofrio from uh, down at Columbus State University. Uh, and he's, you know, the three of us are trying to get this thing uh, published somewhere. Um, so it's funny for anyone who's interested in writing and writes for, you know, journals and whatnot. Uh, we got top paper at NCA in the critical cultural uh, studies division uh, this last time for this paper. And we got panned at the uh, first place that we sent it to republican it was not even like a revised with major revisions it was like nah try some more <laughs> so i don't understand that i've I've heard that happen to other people as well and it just yeah. it's like i don't know it just confuses me that things like that happen that in one space you do you get top paper and you get all like mm -hmm. this, like acclaim and then all of a sudden <laughs> in another yeah. it's just like pen like you said and it's just like oh my god it's it, what yeah what killed me was one of the um one of the reviewers said it was literally literally it was literally reviewer number two quick side note so by reviewer number two it's a running joke within academia and within social spheres within academia reviewer number two is the person who is quite literally the second reviewer to uh, like peer review um, anonymously, of course, in journal articles or um, things like that. But usually it's very negative or uh, harsh. 
So, you know, don't be a reviewer number two. Let's get back to the episode. And they said, you need to justify why you are choosing what you're choosing. For example, why not choose Frankencastle uh, mm-hmm. as your text for analysis? I thought, that's a dumb question. And you're trying to prove that you know comics. And also, no one likes Frankencastle. That's why we're not choosing it. Because it was a stupid storyline. If you like Frank, if anyone likes Frank and Castle who's listening to this, you, you find like what you like. I'm I'm a little hyperbolic here, but it was like, all right, guy, come on. Like you as I felt the nerd flex through the paper through the through the comments of like, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's what we have going on right now. And uh I just and this is actually it's it's related because they do overlap sometimes, but it is a, a also a respective subject area. I could say that earlier, I study Nazis because my life has been shaped by them. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, and so um, uh, a buddy of mine and I just finished the last round of uh, edits on a, um, on a chapter for publication in a book that uh, a colleague of ours has, you know, gotten accepted and all that kind of stuff uh, on free speech on college campuses. So mm-hmm. we deconstruct the narratives used by white nationalist organizations mm-hmm. uh, on college campuses because they've been increasing for the last four years. They, mm-hmm. every year, the, the Southern Poverty Law Center and the uh, Anti-Defamation League have been recording that they have just been increasing their activity. They have reached, I think, almost every state in the United States, if not certainly most of them. Yeah. Um, and every year it grows by like 100%, 200% kind of growth uh, in terms of activity and engagement. And so it's a, it's a problem. So, um, But then I just watched The Boys, uh, season oh, two of The Boys. Yeah. And I was like, and I was like, they're episode one, Stormfront. They're mm-hmm. not. They're trolling us, right? They're not going to name uh, superhero Stormfront. And for anyone who doesn't know, Stormfront is the oldest uh, American Nazi website uh, ever. And I think it might still be around in some in some capacity. Um, it's like they got to be screwing with us. And then I saw the things like, all right, well, I have a new thing to write about. I was going to write three other things, but I guess we're doing this now. <laughs> it's like once you dive deeper into that show, you'll see what's up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, without yeah. giving spoilers away. Yeah, yeah. It's uh it's yeah it's it's, it's a she's wild an interesting character yeah no absolutely it's um no i, I did manage to finish it it is okay yeah someone gave me some really good advice and that was watch the show don't read the comics um the boys uh, it, the comics are dark yeah like, yeah, if, yeah. If the show's dark which it is mm-hmm. comics are even darker i checked out some of the free previews through like comicsology or something like read mm-hmm. a couple you know chapters here there i was like this is all right, I gotta, I gotta draw a line somewhere. Yeah. I don't need that much Garth Ennis bouncing around in my brain. I got. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like so that reminded me too of. Uh, so I, I'm doing a paper on. Oh, well, it's actually going to be a part of my dissertation. So this is going to be a part mm-hmm. of my dissertation where I, I'm doing a chapter of um, different comics that I've read and and also graphic novels too, of um, of comics and graphic novels that focus on the u.s mexican border and in in particularly to the immigration side to like discussing immigration and so through my research i was able to find that there was a book on ice on yeah on ice yeah and so um this book was so intense and it was violent it was they had a like there was one scene where um where a, a cartel crucified one of the ice members right and mm. it, it was it was messed up it was it's messed up it's really messed up 
But um, I remember when I explained this like comic to my advisor, she's all like, Anthony, you need to write about this. It's so messed up, but you need to read yeah. about this. And I'm like describing all these images that I just mentioned to you too, Gabe. And, out, and she's just like, like her mouth is wide open, like in shock because it's just like, oh my gosh, this exists. Like the fact that there's an ice comic in general, that trips me yeah. out. But yeah. I, did NPR do a story on that? I remember hearing about that somewhere, but it didn't. I didn't think about it past hearing about it. It's not uh, El Peso Hero, is it? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, Hector uh, Rodriguez, who, who uh, Gonzalez, who writes that. Yeah, that's a totally different thing. Like okay. he, he writes about like, and he, that's another comic that I feature in, in, in that uh, um, chapter two that I'm working on is. Um, it, it focuses more on the Latino, you know, and it just discusses yeah. like ice and the border patrol and all that too, but mm-hmm. in a different light in comparison to the ice comic itself, because the you. ice okay. comic focuses like if they're the heroes. And so I like to think of it as like CSI or a show like that, mm-hmm. like injected with the testosterone of the Fast and Furious franchise times a hundred. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, the reason I bring up El Peso Heroes, I was just looking at it the other day. I'm probably going to buy a copy. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah. So I just learned about it probably in the last couple of weeks, but cool, cool. I know that, that does sound interesting, though, about um, about ICE because they're, I remember learning recently that like other federal agents don't like them. And when other feds don't like you, you you've done something egregiously wrong. <laughs> It's yeah, I'll I'll yeah. I'll have to send you that comic just so you can like see what's up. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I when I found out about it, it was one of those things. I was just like, whoa, yeah, it, yeah. So speaking about comic books and in in research and communication, I'm curious, like, what do you believe is the future of comic studies in communication? Who boy, uh, at some point, I kind of hope we get our institutional act together. And, mm-hmm. and, and here's what I mean. Um, and uh, uh, Dr. Um, oh, my goodness, his name just escaped from me. But there's there's a, a, a few uh, 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 faculty, a few professors I know of who have been trying to um, get uh, comic studies to be an actual consolidated thing because we're all over the place a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right? A lot of us come from pop culture studies. A lot of us are in there is an actual comic society uh, scholarship you know, uh, organization. Um, I know folks who come from history uh, and, and a variety of places. So my hope is that in communication studies, uh, we can sort of create a, uh, a more formalized organization because we are such an interdisciplinary uh, field already, mm-hmm. right? We come from all walks of life. I tell my intro to comm students, we steal shamelessly from psychology and sociology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, having a sort of like, a, a consolidated field uh, or a or an institutional standing would be great, um, but in that in that remark in that vein, I think that what's going to come moving forward is that at least all the work I've been seeing is critical work. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, most of just about everybody who I've read within uh, comic studies, but especially within uh, communication comic studies, uh, are interested in the the deconstruction of mass narratives and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, understanding its influence. And, and although I have also seen uh, some stuff on the pedagogical uh, applications, right? So how we can use this stuff to teach uh, and that kind of thing. And just as a side note, so my, my one of my younger brothers, because I, I have two younger brothers, um, the middle one, when he was in second grade, he needed some help learning, reading. 
Um, and you know, he, he struggled with some, with some stuff. And so I, one of the things we did, we did a variety of things. One of the things that worked well was, uh, I bought him some old, like, uh, collected editions of the first Spider-Man comics. Nice. Right. From like the 1960s. Um, I remember going and taking him to the comic shop and he's like, can I get, uh, this Punisher comic? Nah, nope. Nope. <laughs> Mom will be after me. No, you can't do that. Uh, here's what you can have. Here's a nice Peter Parker. You know, yeah, you yeah. Um, but, but it really helped because it was a combination of, uh, an easy to read format. Mm. These stories were very straightforward. They're not too convoluted. The language is accessible. And of course, there's imagery to go along with it, which mm-hmm. um, we would find out later that he had dyslexia. So mm. the combination of the pictures plus the the words really helped him to uh, understand and also retain more information. Wow. So um, I would like to see comics expand in that way. I, I've been learning a little bit about it. It's not my field, but I've you know heard some people talk about the uh, pedagogical applications of it, especially because you know young folks like uh, uh, comics and stuff. I say young folks because now I'm over thirty, and I guess that makes me old. But um, yeah, it, you know, it's what the kids are into these days. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I I would like to see uh, this this furthering um, engagement with the critical aspect of communication studies within the field of, of comics, as well as its uses as um as a teaching tool. Definitely, um, I like one of the books that stands out for me. Like a, a lot of people don't think of it as a maybe a pedagogical tool, but I like to think that it is. It's and and I like to call him the grandfather. Well, actually, I would say Will Eisner is the grandfather of like comic studies because without Will Eisner, oh yeah, you know, like yeah. But I like to think mm-hmm. now he's like. Oh, this is also another grandfather of comic studies. Is um, oh my gosh, I can't believe I blinked on his name. Um, understanding comics from uh, oh Scott McCloud, Scott McCloud, Scott McCloud, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like understanding comics is one of those books that is like a mm-hmm. must for people who, oh, yeah. who study comics. Uh, and that, that book is like dives deep into comic books in a way that I don't think anybody had had mm-hmm. it um, or broke. Like it really like dissected comic books in a different way, you know, no, same I, as Will Eisner mm-hmm. did, too. Absolutely. I used uh, Scott McCloud when I was writing my dissertation. Um, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I, I love that. And of course, this is a little bit of speculation on his part, but the idea that we identify so much with comics because their simplistic format allows us to relate to them better than if mm-hmm. you had hyper, hyper realistic, like you take something like, um, Alex Ross, right. Who does mm-hmm. the photo real yeah, yeah. depictions of like DC heroes and stuff like that, or, or any sort of comic heroes. Those almost have too much detail for the person to psychologically connect to. At least that was sort of his argument, like the, the basic pen and paper and color format allowed folks to relate because your brain could fill in the details with someone who maybe looked like you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing that comes to mind, you mentioned Will Eisner. Uh, did you know he wrote or he, he had some uh, lectures that were written in the books? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know the titles of them, but I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my brother who I mentioned earlier is an artist and um, we actually, he picked up a copy, but I was flipping through it. Um, and I'm probably going to get it from when he's done with it. Uh, but it was like, this is what a hero's gun looks like versus this is what a villain's gun looks like. And so the whole thing is about how to, you know, signify so much more through the visual storytelling than just using text. So you don't have to rely so much on the words and the language itself, that there is a language of the structure of the comic and the art and that kind of thing that, you know, helps to be a little more engaging, a little more compelling. And so you can tell a better story. Um, and I, I think that's interesting, particularly from like, uh, a study of signs and symbols perspective mm-hmm. right 
yeah. definitely that's that's really interesting that's really interesting and um so speaking about pedagogy too i like i personally like to think that that academia and education is evolving or i like mm-hmm. i want to believe that that's the case that's you know yes. and so you have started using tiktok in particular and and you post these videos on, on your instagram too and i think they are so cool like i like love listening to them so whenever i see you, you post something i'm just like i'm there watching them. i'm just like this is such a cool like way to interact and converse with with people um on an academic level but also for like in a public way too like in a public space and a generalized audience type of space as well so like, how did you get involved with this? Or like, what sparked that idea to do something like this? And do you believe that education and academia is, is slowly moving into that direction? So um, I, there, I had a couple different thoughts there. One thing, I'll say this. I don't know to what extent academia is moving in that direction, but I think we have a responsibility to. Right. I think that, um, and, and that actually kind of gets into why I started doing it. So um, I've thought for a long time that it would be great to, you know what, I'm gonna back up for a second. Uh, you're familiar with Stuart Hall, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. So for anyone who's listening who's not, Stuart Hall was like the the uh, forefather of cultural studies, right? Yeah. Uh, one of the, one of those foundational guys. Um, and I especially like him because I think at his time he was like the only person arguing for the understanding of race. Like, no, mm-hmm. we have to. It's also the only black man in most of the rooms that he was in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I read a explanation from him of articulation theory. And articulation theory is the idea that, you know, we connect things through media that have no inherent connection. So like homelessness does not have anything inherently to do with like drug abuse or criminality or uh, or even like mental illness. It can be from a variety of causes, but we often link those things together because that's what our stories do. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he used the uh, example of a pickup truck. Mm-hmm. You have the the you have the bed of the truck. You have the uh, cab of the truck. The two are touching, but they're not inherently connected. They're connected by the chassis underneath, right? The frame of the truck. And so that metaphor for me was the spark of what I think became this idea of academia needs to be more accessible. Mm -hmm. It needs to be because people don't have time to, to, you know, take four years out of their life to go to college necessarily. Right. And then when they do finish, like learning is a ongoing thing, uh, to paraphrase Eartha Kitt, the, uh, first black cat woman right yeah. from adam west yeah. uh the adam west batman she said you know the the my tombstone will be my diploma because it, you just keep learning until the end so i've been thinking about for years about how to do this and i've experimented with like podcasting and that kind of thing and um and, and you know with some they were fun for me i don't know if any other, anyone else enjoyed them uh but they were fun for me um but then i started thinking about like you know youtube and this that and the other and i'm also like trying to balance how much do I want to get involved? I got a family. I got a kid I'm raising. I got a wife. I'm, you know, uh, I'm trying to, you know, maintain, you know, a, a good, happy life and all work and whatnot. So what's my degree of involvement be? TikTok hit like a sweet spot because I can make a, a minute long video, which takes a lot longer than I thought it would. I'll tell you. Um, I sometimes will take me almost an hour to make one video uh, wow. because I'm so, it's because academics, you know, can yeah. talk forever in a day, right? Uh, and so boiling something down to 60 seconds and getting the right language, because I'm also conscientious of like, oh, God, what if I get quoted out of context? How could that be taken? Right. So it's been an effort. I've gotten a lot better about it. Um, but yeah, about, you know, it's it's a good, happy medium place for me. 
right? But the other thing about it is, and this sort of gets into the responsibility aspect and part of why I did it, is that as I understand more about how the radicalization of um, particularly young folks happens through two things like white nationalism. Um, I've, I've been learning about how, you know, the, the far right uh, has gotten really good at, um, you know, in on, a digital presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1984, there was, before the internet was a thing, Mm-hmm. Um, in 1984, you had a couple of different like proto internet systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was Liberty Net, and Liberty Net was. Are you familiar with this at all? I'm not I, I'm, I'm kind of familiar with it because I I think stuff that I mentioned in a class that I taught about social media that yeah. um like the army had like these versions of uh the internet that they would use mm-hmm. a, in order to communicate cross country to one another or something like that. Right. So they had like ARPANET and things like that. Yes. Yes. Uh, Liberty Net was founded by um, American Nazis. It was a internet created by American Nazis in 1984, and they did it by uh, robbing banks and armored cars and taking the money and buying guns wow. and Ethernet cable. Wow. Like, yeah. And so these guys are not like, we think of like uh, far right white nationalists as like the David Duke generation of like, you know, the baby boomers and maybe the older Gen Xers or whatever. Mm. No, no, no. Like from the get go, they've been about the internet. And so before I started getting involved in this, I thought, all right, on I have to control to what extent I'm going to engage because, of course, there's a lot of hate out there. And I, if anyone wants to get in a fight with me on the Internet, I got other, I got dishes that need to be done. Right. I, I can go deal with that. Um, but also uh, I have to. So why am I doing this? Well, I, I just want to put good information out there. They can help somebody. So if I don't get any more than like five followers on a given social media account and like three people. Uh, like it, then I know that I've occupied a little bit of space in like a, in somebody's brain, and maybe they can do something good with that. So, mm-hmm. and the other thing is too is at some point I will probably leave TikTok because all things in, and as long as that stuff is circulating and people are making good use of it and people are happy and it's adding some some validation or giving people a language to articulate their own experiences or putting their own experiences under a new light, that kind of thing. As long as it's beneficial to somebody, mm-hmm. that I'm good. Um, you know, YouTube is probably the greatest radicalizer towards mm-hmm. white nationalism of anything ever mm-hmm. because the way the algorithms uh, work in terms of like engagement plus activity, like there've been some studies that have found that like, it's only a matter of time before you end up on the far right side of things on mm-hmm. YouTube, no matter what your interests are. They all followed like Alex Jones and other weirdos like that. Um, so then as someone who has access to technology, I have the privilege of a work schedule that is flexible. I have the education. Um, so I think I have some kind of responsibility to do something, you know, that's awesome. And when I think about it, when I, what I think too, is that it's a great conversation starter too. Like you mentioned, like, yeah. you, you know, like if you, if you can enrich somebody's mind in the process, like you mentioned, and maybe even start up a conversation in the process about, mm-hmm. wow, I didn't think about this. You know, this is a cool way to think about this. Like, especially with comic books or popular culture, like people just see it like, Oh, cool. They're it's, it's entertaining, but there's so much, it's, it's so much deeper than that too, you know? And so I think that's a fascinating aspect of what you're doing through the, through this TikTok platform. And, um, and maybe if you continue on other platforms as well, but I think through what you're doing right now, it's fascinating. And I think it's incredible. And I just, I think it's personally just awesome. Like, like I told you, I like watch every one of your videos and I'm just like, whoa, this is a great way to have these academic discussions 
in a generalized way that maybe people might not think about. And you're hitting on like really popular topics too, like WandaVision and um, Falcon and Winter Soldier, like really popular shows right now, or even some of these uh, Marvel Marvel movies and, and things like that too. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, this is so cool. This is a great way to go about that and have these really cool educational pop culture media conversations. Thank you. Uh, that means a lot. I, I really appreciate it. And, and the other thing that um, I forgot to mention, and this might be relevant to you later on down the line as you enter into the uh, you know, the the grind that is you know academic teaching and all that kind of stuff, if that's what you choose to do, mm-hmm. uh, is um, uh, I was also because I'm a lecturer. Right. I teach between four and five classes a semester. This semester, I taught five classes for my second semester in a row. I ain't doing this again. I am too old for this. I need sleep. Um, but I, I do, I thoroughly enjoy my classes, but I often don't get to teach classes where I get to really sink my teeth in, mm-hmm. right? Or if I do, it's something that's like, yes, it's broadly what I'm interested in, but I have to, you know, there's a, there's a pre-existing curriculum after buy by that. So I thought, well, I'll just talk about what I really want to talk about and I'll, uh, so it, it's beneficial for me to help keep my ideas alive yeah. uh, so that I can also engage with other people and then maybe get some like research uh, out of that or, you know, things like that. So it's also like I, I do get quite a bit out of it. Um, and there's a mild catharsis with fighting with people on the Internet because, you know, I'm human like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Internet can be a wonderful and also a horrible place all at once. Like, it's oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's something else. Yeah. But Gabe, Dr. Cruz, like, I got to put some respect on that name. I do. Dr. Gabriel Cruz, thank you so much for, for having this wonderful conversation. Thank you for taking time out of your day to talk with, talk with me and to share, you know, your, your trajectory and all the wonderful things that you're doing right now. Cause I think it's awesome, awesome stuff. And um, how can more people find out about the stuff that you're doing? Or if you want to give any shout outs at this time, go for it. Yeah, sure. Uh, so people can find me. Um, so I, I run a Twitter. Uh, I run a Twitter. It's, it's a thing that I pay attention to to some extent. I don't want to put it's too much. Uh, I'm getting full of myself. No, uh, I have a Twitter account. Um, you can find me, you know, as Gabriel Cruz, PhD, but it's uh, at Cruz, C-R-U-Z underscore Critcom. So C-R-I-T-C-O-M. Um, so I do that. I have an Instagram page. It's uh, G-A Cruz, PhD. And um the uh the tiktok that i run is at dr uh period underscore c um so yeah folks can can find me there uh some other pop culture friends of mine and i we live tweet stuff like uh black lightning uh on cw as well as batwoman uh on cw uh we do other you know over the summer we did like you know live viewing things like hey let's watch this and also you know live tweeting and stuff so if you if you're into that kind of stuff you don't have to be an academic you can just be a if you have a pulse you you can come hang out with us um if you don't have a pulse, I have questions like, how did you get a Twitter account? But yeah, so, you know, that's where you can find me. Um, also, you know, and you can, people can reach out to me as well. If you have questions about it, I've been getting, you know, questions actually fairly recently about like how to get into media studies and what happened for me and that kind of stuff. Uh, but also I forgot to mention this um, on my Instagram and my TikTok page, I have a link tree. Uh, and so you can see stuff that uh, either stuff that I've written, which is like one or two things here or there, but also, additional readings because like TikTok is 60 seconds at most. And I think it's really important to continue conversations past that. So I always, I try to link, you know, sources and materials for people to read about. So if they're interested, you know, 
you can learn that way. I don't, I don't put anything up there that I would not be comfortable, you know, someone citing in the paper. So yeah, yeah, that's where folks can find me. Awesome. Again, thank you so much, Dr. Cruz. It's been a pleasure having this conversation with you and um, I look forward to seeing what, what other work you produce and maybe we can collaborate on something one day. I think that'd be really cool. Um, but absolutely. Again, again, thanks so much for being a guest on Academics on Amigos. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Anthony. Awesome. A very special thank you to Dr. Gabriel Cruz for being a guest on this week's Academics and Amigos. For more on Dr. Cruz, be sure to follow his Instagram pages at GA Cruz underscore PhD, TikTok page at Dr. Period underscore C, and Twitter at Cruz underscore Critcom. For more on Academics and Amigos, be sure to check out the website www.arramirez.com slash Academics and Amigos. And be sure to follow us on all our social media platforms. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're also on TikTok now, so be sure to follow us on TikTok at Academics Amigos. This episode was hosted, produced by Anthony Ramirez. Also special thanks to Kyle Colgazer for all his help. Until next time, my friends. Hasta luego. Be cool and stay awesome.